0: I wonder um, how you would feel this morning if I, if I simply walked up here and said, I've got a lot to say to you this morning. I've got a lot to talk about. I've written probably the best sermon I've ever written. But I don't think you're able to cope with it. I don't think you're going to cope with what I've got to say. And then I sat down. Well, I know a certain section might think, that's a good idea, right? But others, of course, might be offended. It would uh, certainly make sermon writing a complete waste of time. And it wouldn't be very encouraging for any of us, would it? Well, in our reading this morning, that is sort of what Jesus is saying uh, to the disciples. Look at what he says. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. At this stage of the disciple, I'd be thinking, fair enough. Like I said last week, I'd probably be one of the more confused disciples. So when Jesus comes out with, I'm not going to tell you anything too hard to understand, I'd be like, thank goodness, I'm still struggling with the other stuff. But despite what Jesus says, he then goes on uh, to drop on them probably one of the hardest bit of theology. that is Trinitarian theology. that is one God, three persons, Father, Son and spirit. When I was studying at table to the end of the to, towards the end of my course, I decided to take on what they called an intensive. I thought this seemed like a good idea. I'd get all my lectures over and done with in one week, and I could just cruise through the essay writing. The subject I chose was Trinitarian theology. I can honestly tell you today that at the end, I swore I would never do an intensive again. At the end of the week, I thought my head was going to explode. Well, it didn't, thank goodness. But it did take me many weeks of writing, reading and praying to sort out in my mind what I've just been through. It is interesting um, that often when people have troubles sorting things out in words, they put it to music. We put it into song to try and express what we want to say. It's why singing is so important. You know, something happens when we sing, something mystical, seemingly supernatural works within us when we sing. Music cultivates the happiness, the wholeness in us. Singing stirs up and engages the heart, celebrating the greatest joys and consoling us in our deepest sorrows. Also, I'm sure that most of us during the week can recall the words to a song. We may even find ourselves humming the tune from Sunday. Very few people can remember the words of a sermon. In the case of the Trinity, maybe we need to sing more about it. What we tend to do though, is we tend to try and use analogies. I use analogies all the time to try and explain, um, trying to explain things, but they can lead to misunderstanding. I want to share with you a couple of the classics about the Trinity. One of the great ones is the three-leaf clover. I'm sure you've heard that one. This is perhaps probably one of the better-known ones. The story goes that Saint Patrick used the shamrock as an illustration to the pagan Irish. Who are finding it hard to grasp the, grasp the idea? The shamrock has three leaves in one sprig—a perfect illustration. Well, no. Well, it would be except that if we take the three leaves to represent the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, then the analogy fails to recognise the Godhead. It is simply—it's it, not simply split up into thirds. But each are wholly, completely God, in and of themselves, and also when they are together. This has led Christians to believe that each tr- each person in the Trinity is only part God, and only becoming fully God when the all three are together. It's wrong. What about the one, one of my favourites, And I've used this, I've got to to honestly admit I've used this one. What about the one about water? The Trinity is like water. It can be either solid state as ice, or gas as steam, or liquid as water. Well, this one falls short too. This, This approach is known as modalism. The idea that God merely represents himself in three different forms, but isn't three distinct persons. Proponents of this way of thinking believe that God firstly manifests himself as Father, then as Jesus, then as the Holy Spirit. These modes are consecutive, temporary, and never coexist thus denying the distinctiveness of the three persons of the Trinity. Wrong again. Then there's another classic, the one about a man who is father, husband and a son all at the same time. He is one man but with three different functions. Surprisingly, this fails to encompass all that the Trinity is either. The Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit aren't simply three functions of God. Again, they are three distinct persons. Well, I hope I haven't ruined anybody's favourite analogy of the Trinity, but if I have, don't despair. All of these analogies are useful to make us think, but none of them properly describe the Trinity. We shouldn't give up attempting to explain the Trinity, though, and we shouldn't just accept that our language will never be able to fully embody all that God is. Maybe, maybe Martin, maybe Martin, we should write a few more songs about the Trinity and leave it there. Leave it to Martin. <laughs> well, well, maybe we just need to remind ourselves that we are limited both by knowledge and vocabulary to be able to properly express. One thing we shouldn't do, we shouldn't walk away from trying to understand the Trinity. We need to wrestle with it. We need to continue to think about it, to read about it, to discuss it. Otherwise, we might find ourselves, like factions of the Church, where they have watered down some of the more difficult things understand in the Bible, like the Trinity, like the virgin birth, like the physical resurrection of Jesus, just to name a few. When we can properly articulate all the aspects of God and fully understand everything there is to understand about God, then we probably made our own God. Augustine once said, what you understand can't possibly be God. Well, I also think that quote from Augustine is taking things just a little bit too far. Just takes it too far in the opposite direction, doesn't it? And it may result in us washing our hands of trying to understand, which I think is even worse. Well, Jesus does say to his disciples that he had more to tell them But at this stage, they probably can't handle it. But why would he say that? Let's recap where we are in John's Gospel. We are getting towards the end of the farewell discourse and to the end of Jesus' teaching on the Holy Spirit. The disciples are about to go into a short, short, sharp and very painful period. Jesus is about to get arrested, tried and executed. That is why Jesus says to them in verse 16, not long from now they won't see him, and not long after that they will see him again. The death and resurrection are necessary events that need to take place for Jesus to then go to the Father, which will result in the sending of the Spirit. They are extraordinary, earth shattering events. How on earth can anybody prepare for such an event? And yet Jesus tries to both warn and prepare them just the same. Likewise, John is trying to get us ready, as the reader, ready for what is about to happen. The world is about to change. John isn't simply saying things are going to get bad and then they're going to get good. No, the world is about to change. John doesn't want us to miss the significance of what is about to happen. They are not just strange or sh- or shocking or even unique. It will be the visible sign that God's new world really is coming. It is why Jesus says to them that he has more to tell them, but this at this stage. It is just too hard for them to understand. That is why Jesus is talking about the Spirit, the Helper. He will be the one that will lead them into the truth. Remember what I said last week? The Spirit will remind them of what Jesus had already said to them. The Spirit will also guide them, nudge their minds and imaginations into the ways of knowing and thinking of things that Jesus would have liked to have said, but couldn't at the time. And he does the same today. In some respect, he's like that piece of music that brings back to our memory a feeling, the tune that we hum this week, or the words of a song that will come to us when we need it. Maybe, just maybe, we could say, the Spirit will be the one that gives the music to our lives. He makes the words of Jesus take flight in our lives and brings us closer to the Father. And that maybe this is the way by which the Father is glorified as the things to do with Jesus are celebrated and embraced in our lives through the music of the Spirit. After all, we have to remember the Trinity is the perfect harmony. Our job is to learn the tune and join in. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, as we, uh, as we continue um, with our lives, we pray, Lord, that we will know the tune. We will know what you have to say to us, that we can join in. And be part, that we you open up the Trinity for us to step into every day. Help us embrace um, that invitation to accept your calling. To accept our place in the world and the, the world that you want us to be in. Through the love of the Trinity, we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.